Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Ray Dirksen, the lead pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit MySouthland.com. In Colossians 3, Paul said, But now you must put, away, uh, put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off, or uh, you say that phrase together with me. You're going to help me preach, okay? Here we go. You have what? Put off the old self with its practices and have what? Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, while we were having a set free yesterday, uh, or this weekend, Phil Collins, one of the first two pastors in church renewal in Kelowna, was running the 14th set free over there at the exact same time on the weekend. And that's happening almost every, every week now, somewhere in the world, somebody else is running a set free, and that's amazing. That, what you were doing was putting off those things. The old self with its practices through confession and repentance. And what do we do next? We're to intentionally, what? Put on the new self. So what does that mean exactly? And why should we even want to do that? And number three, how do we do that? And that's what we'll talk about this morning. Let's begin with the first question. What does it mean to put on and to grow in our character? In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 7, as you'll see on the screen here, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us by His glory and goodness. Through these, and now he's talking about godliness and the characteristics, those characteristic traits of that godliness, that's what he's going to be talking about. He says, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. These promises, he has promises for those qualities or those characteristics or godliness. That's what he's saying. So he says, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may partake in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now think about that for just a second. You just went through a set free, and if you, if you didn't go to set free this weekend, uh, 7,500 participants have gone through our set free right here over the last 12 years. And so most of you or all of you have already gone through at least one of them. And, and, and what he's saying is, if you, if you put on these characteristics, he said, through them, you will not only partake in the divine nature, but you will escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. He's saying, you don't have to just continually keep going and confessing and repenting. You can actually change by putting these character traits on. And that'll keep you then from having to always confess and repent. Do you see what I'm saying? That's what he's saying. Then he says in verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, and perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, love. And now look at verse 8. <laughs> For if you possess these qualities, or these, these characteristics that I just talked, uh, that we just listed, if you possess these qualities, characteristics, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive, or the ESV says unfruitful, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's incredible. And then he says this, but if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind 
and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. In other words, if we just go to set free and we confess our sins and we repent and that kind of stuff, and then we don't go on and intentionally put on these characteristics of godliness... Then he said, we're nearsighted and blind and have forgotten that we've been cleansed from our, from our past sins with what happened at the set-free retreat. Do you see what he's saying? Therefore, brothers, he says in verse 10, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, put on those characteristics, if you put on those things, if you do these things, you will never fall. And, verse 11, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Incredible passage. This is the flip side of the set-free retreat that we're talking about right now. These are the quality characteristics, as we said. And four of these godly character traits also show up um, in other New Testament lists, like kindness, love, goodness, self-control, they're all they, those four, which we just named, are also found in Paul's list on the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Four of them are also in that particular passage, which is very interesting. In the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you'll find another list of characteristics. Verse 4, for example, says love is patient, love is kind. There's two of them right there. Um, so when we talk about godliness or character or fruit of the Spirit, righteousness, holiness, or even love, we're actually talking about the exact same thing. Just from different angles, different uh, perspectives, but the same thing. And we're supposed to make, verse 5 said, every what, church? Make every, help me again. Make every effort to add to your faith these characteristics of godliness or godly character. These fruit, or, uh, fruit of the Spirit. So what is the sum total of these traits? So if we take all these traits... And we put them together from these various lists. There's another list in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 to 11 or 12. Um, qualifications, we'll look, maybe look at that a little bit later if we have time. But if we look at all those lists and take all those characteristics and those traits, the fruit of the Spirit and godliness and righteousness and holiness, all those character traits, those qualities, and we put them all together in one big sum and want to describe it, what are we actually talking about? Paul says, we're put, to put on the new self, which is being renewed. We read this just earlier, but may, and maybe you picked it up in Colossians 3. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of its creator. That's what's happening. Peter says that through them, we can partake in the divine nature. Remember, we, we said that piece. Both are saying that God wants to form Jesus' character in us. That's what we're talking about here. Galatians 4.19, Paul said, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, and help me, church, say it together, until Christ is formed in you. Ha <laughs> ha, there it is. Those character traits, those qualities, that righteousness, that godliness, that holiness, that fruit of the Spirit, all of those pieces are actually descriptions of who Jesus is. 
That's the character of Jesus. And our Lord Jesus is calling his church here at Southland, and he's calling his church across Canada and around the world to another level. To have the character and allow and form the character of Jesus within the church of Christ so that the world can see Christ. Amen? That's what he's calling us to. And um, when Christ's character is being shaped in us, our ingrained behaviors, our default actions, our default reactions, who we are in the dark, will reflect what Jesus would do. That's what we're talking about. So now, some of you are saying, oh great, now we gotta, there's something for us to do here. Yep, there is. So why should we even want to do this? Like, is there any good reason for doing this? That's the second question. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, and we, we looked at it before. Through these he has given us his very great and precious, what was that? Promises. That means these character qualities, these fruit of the Spirit in our lives come with a promise attached to it. A guaranteed promise. If you have this, this characteristic in your life, it comes with promise. So we're going to look at some of that. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Paul said to Timothy, train yourself to be godly for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value in every way. Holding promise both for the present life and what? Life to come. Life to come. Exactly. So what are some of these promises? Well, I have seven. I already had to cut one out. and Maybe I'll have to cut another one out for the sake of time. But let's look at a few of them at least. The first one is that character makes us fruitful in this lifetime. In verse 8, he said, If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive or, as I said before, ESV, unfruitful. Jesus himself made it clear that the Father wants us to be fruitful. Four times in John chapter 15, he talked about bearing fruit and bearing much fruit. Or, and he would even say that, that God the Father was, uh, that those that, were, that remained in him, verse 2 of, of cha chapter 15, he said those that remained in him, the Father would even prune, and uh, if they were remaining in him and bearing fruit, he would prune so that they'd be even more fruitful. Jesus is interest, interested in us being fruitful. Do you agree? He wants us to be fruitful and effective and productive in every area of our life. For his sake and for his kingdom. That's what I'm talking about. Jesus uh, made that clear. He wants us to be fruitful. I, I once knew a man, for example, I, 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 see, I want you to see how, the, how a characteristic can make a big difference in in fruitfulness, in regular living, okay? We're not just talking here about pastors. We're talking about Christians. I knew a man who was very talented and had uh, great opportunity, but he could be rude and impatient and easily angered. And, of course, that's found in 1 Corinthians 13, 45. He said, uh, love isn't rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. There's some more of those characteristics there. And, uh, and uh, so he had very few friends. Is that fruitful? And he had a lot of enemies. Is that fruitful? He bounced around from one job to another, never making progress. Is that fruitful? 
He, da he damaged relationships in his home with his wife and his children. Is that successful or fruitful? And the answer is, no, he wasn't unfruitful with his life. And it wasn't because everything was bad for him and everything was good for everybody else. It was because he didn't have the character, you know, certain characteristics or qualities of Jesus' character living in him. And so it just wrecked everything around him. Do you see how character comes with a promise here? And the more we take on, the more fruitful we become in every aspect of our living. You say, but I was born like that. Well, exactly, you were born like that. <laughs> we were all born like that, broken. The person sitting next to you was broken. We're all born like that. But the good news of the gospel is we don't have to stay like that. Amen? Listen to me. That's good news. <laughs> oh, am I ever glad about that. Because my poor wife wouldn't have made it up till now. <laughs> All right. Character. Number two qualifies for us for ministry. We've got a lot of pastors and different stuff, but I'm not just talking to pastors and denominational leaders and church leaders and that kind of stuff. I'm talking to all of us. When God chose Moses, he first had to send him into the wilderness to develop his character because he wasn't patient, he was easily angered, he took matters into his own hand, he lorded it over the people, and we could quote verses for all of those because those were not characteristics of what we're talking about, the character of Christ. It resulted in a very long... Uh, and oh, and because of that, then God sent him in the wilderness for 40 years where he had to remake his character. The result was that Moses had a very long and successful ministry, didn't he? And uh, the more you and I grow in character, the more fruitful we'll become. Paul listed some of the key character traits or fruit of the Spirit that he considered a must in order, kind of a minimum list in order to qualify for ministry as an overseer and, and as a deacon. I'm not talking here about an off, uh, just an office, but people that are leading in the church and that are ministering in the church here. He said he must be above reproach, husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Deacons, likewise, are to be people worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain, and so on and so forth. Those aren't the only characteristic, because you know which one isn't in there? As an example, 1 Corinthians uh, 13, verse four, uh, 5 says, love is not rude. That one's not in there. But does it mean that a, a, an overseer or a deacon can now be rude? Huh? No. He's giving a sample listing, sort of a minimum baseline. They better at least have this down. Okay? <laughs> The converse is also true. If a person is missing certain characteristics, it can disqualify them from ministry. Lots of pastors have been disqualified from ministry because they didn't have certain characteristics. Um, you know, they either pursued dishonest gain, like fraud, or lorded it over the people, or they were sexually promiscuous, or they were lazy. But hey, it doesn't have to just be those. Do you know another reason why a lot of uh, pastors don't make it and church leaders don't make it because they haven't got the characteristic or trait of perseverance against resistance. I can say that because I didn't have that. So God had to take me in the wilderness for three and a half years. You guys know the story. 
and teach me about perseverance. And then he had to give me three tough things that kind of like a perfect storm in my life to build that into me. Because like my wife always said when, I was, when we were just married, thank God for spouses, she said, you're a quitter. That's the opposite of perseverance. We're going to talk about that right at the end of the message a little bit. We'll pick that one. This past year, the Holy Spirit, I was talking, uh, I, 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 was, I was praying, and uh, the Holy Spirit and I agreed I needed to work on self-control. Now, there's many applications for it, I won't, so I won't go into one because I don't want you zoning in on one. There's many applications for it. No, I'm, it isn't pornography or immorality or drunkenness or weed or something like that. I'm not, I'm not into that. I kicked all of that long, long time ago. And I never did weed, by the way. No. Not even dandelions. <laughs> Seriously, I didn't. <laughs> but um, he told me that I needed to work on self-control. And then as I would listen in prayer, and I said, Lord, I need you to give me some steps. I was listening in prayer. And you can do the same thing. As I was listening in prayer, he said, um, uh, he reminded me of the story of Moses. And he said, you admire Moses. <laughs> I said, I really do. What, a, what an incredible leader and servant of the Lord. And then he said, but look what happened to him at the end of his life. After almost 40 amazing years, and he's this close to take him into the promised land. One day, the Israelites are grumbling again and complaining, and he has just had it. Have you ever just had it? Like, enough is enough already. Resistance, resistance, resistance. And so the Lord says to him, well, go and talk to the rock. And, uh, and then water's going to come out of the rock. He goes to the rock, and what did he do? He took his rod, you're right, and he smote the rock. He lashed out at it in anger, and he hit the rock, and God still honored, <laughs> honored what he did, even though he didn't do what God said. And water came out of the rock, but God was not happy. And he said, you dishonored me before the people. Evidently, the people knew what he was supposed to do, and he didn't do it. He said, as a result, you will not be leading them into the promised land. You get to go up on a mountain, take a look in from a distance, but you will not be the one taking them there. He was disqualified for the rest of the way. Oh, I shuddered inside for an entire day, and I am not. This is not hyperbole. I don't mean physical shudder. It was an internal thing. I shuddered. I said, if that can happen to Moses, I'm 62, 63, and now you're telling me I need to work in self-control. I am afraid that I could be disqualified. Do you, do, you, do you see it? It qualifies, but if we don't have it, it can also disqualify. I, I know stuff. I mean, I've, I've led church, two churches now for 30 years, exactly this year. And in that time, I've seen a lot of pastors disqualified. See, and I'm not pointing fingers because here he's, tell, he's warning me, you better be careful. If it can happen to Moses, boy, it can happen to you. And I've seen staff who've disqualified themselves because they were self-seeking or they were easily angered, or they, you know, they were doing their own thing, whatever it was. I've seen lots of volunteer ministers over the years, not just in this church, but in other churches, who have disqualified themselves, who were doing something. They used to. And they disqualified themselves because they didn't have certain characteristics, 
character traits. They were easily offended or easily angered or kept records of wrongs or were self-seeking or whatever the, whatever the issue. God had to put them aside. Oh, we don't want that, do we, church? I don't want to be disqualified. I want to be qualified. And I know you do too. Here's the third one. Character affects the outcome of our prayers. How we, if we mistreat people, God does not answer our prayers. Did you know that? It's the truth. The Bible says that. Um, if, for example, he gave an illustration, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Obviously, they were having trouble there. And treat them with respect as the weaker partner and his heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will what? Hinder your prayers. There's many reasons why our prayers don't always get answered. And some of them are, have to do with things that have nothing to do with sin. But in this particular case, he says, if you are habitually mistreating people and you don't confess and you don't get that new character trait on, it will keep you from getting your prayers answered. Are your prayers not getting answered because of that? Then put on a character trait. Amen? Put it on. It's patient. It's kind. All that kind of stuff. All right. Character, number four, helps us stand against the devil. Now, you're saying, how in the world does that work? Many pastors and churches pursue God's power. I travel all over and get go to many churches and stuff. And I've seen a lot of... And, and, and pastors often invoke the Holy Spirit to come down in power. Now, that's not sinful. That's not wrong. But what exactly are they asking for? Because, um, because we do need God's power. Would you agree? Oh, Paul talks a lot about that. I mean, Ephesians 5 itself. I mean, he, he talks a lot about it. And we have a whole Empower Ministers retreat just on the Holy Spirit and the power and the gifts. So... Anybody who would misunderstand that would completely miss it. But really, what do we need his power for? And the key thing we need his power for is to develop character. That's exactly what Peter was arguing. Second Peter chapter 1, he said in verse 3, I started it off there. His divine what power has given us everything we need for what? Life and for godliness and those characteristics of godliness or godly character. We need God's power to put on Jesus' character. Would you agree? Oh, we cannot do it by ourselves. So how does his power help us gain a right character trait? Well, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, he says, continue to work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to what? Will, that's desire. And to do or act according to his good purpose. That's ability, desire and ability. Will and act. That's what his power gives the ability. Maybe you're here today and you say, well, I don't even have the desire to get a godly character. You're right. You can't get that desire by yourself. You need God's power, and so do I. If we're invoking God's power, one of the things we should be invoking for is say, Oh, God, come down in power and give us the desire to have the character of Jesus in us. And then give us the ability 
in Jesus' name to be able to put on some of those characteristic traits because they come with great, it's P word, it's pro promise. That was close. Power. Yeah, 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 sorry. Very close. Just put an R in there. Because they come with great what? Promise. Promise. That's what we're talking about, right? <laughs> I love you. You're amazing. You're fun. So then, now you're asking yourself, okay, I get that part, but how can character possibly help us in a fight against the devil? Well, in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul said that we have to put spiritual armor on to protect against the attack of the enemy. You know, we're supposed to put the helmet of salvation and the feet shot with the gospel of peace, and we're supposed to have the shield of faith, and, and on and on, right? And one of the things he says, uh, belt of truth, and one of the other things that he tells us to put on is the what? Breastplate of? What on earth is breastplate of righteousness? He's talking about exactly what we're talking about. Right living, character, fruit and spirit, godliness, holiness. That's what he's talking about. And he says, if you have those kind of characteristics in your life, the devil can't beat you up. Oh, he will fight you, yes, but you can resist him. That's what he's saying. You say, well, how in the world does that work? James illustrates this. Uh, wonderfully, he says in James 4, 1 to 2, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. Notice what he says, not quarrelsome. That's in the first Timothy 3 lesson that we just read before. What causes it? What causes quarrel? Quarreling. Do you know what causes it? It's found in the first Corinthians 13 list. Self-seeking, which is exactly opposite of what Jesus did. He said, he did not, he said I did not seek, I didn't come seek for myself, but for him who sent me. And if we have that characteristic, it makes a difference. When believers lack godly character, they will quarrel and fight automatically. Absolutely, they will. Take this church, for example. Southland. In five years, three church splits several decades ago. In five years, three. How is that possible? Well, it's very easy. If you don't have character, character traits of Jesus on, that's, that's an automatic given. That's what we do. We fight. Because we're self-seeking. Isn't that true? But you know what? We haven't had a split in the last 22 years. We haven't had a split. Never mind. We haven't had a fight in 22 years. I don't mean there haven't been some disagreements here or there. Um, but there has been no fighting. There's been no division. There's no, be, no quarreling. There's been no split or anything. Do you know why? Because you're growing in the character of Jesus. Amen. That's why. That's what he says. When believers lack godly character, they will quarrel and fight. In their own homes, they will, uh, their, 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 their homes will, uh, you know, will, will separate and they'll divorce each other. They'll lie and gossip and cheat one another. When that happens, the enemy gains a foothold in the church, thereby neutralizing the effectiveness and fruitfulness in, in believers and the church. All the power of God will not overcome the lack of character and sinfulness in such Christians and in such churches. 
You can get up and call down for the power of God all you like. But if it does not result in changing and putting on the character of Jesus Christ and those characteristics, nothing will change in the church. <laughs> nothing. But with godly character, the devil cannot penetrate and destroy God's church and God's work. Amen. Amen. True church? Yes. <laughs> All right. Fifth, character reveals Christ. This comes with promise. Is this a good promise, by the way? Am I telling is the scripture telling us some good promises? Are you starting to feel like having character? <laughs> Are you getting excited about it? You want to put it on, right? Here's another one. It reveals Christ to others. God wants to reveal Christ in the world through us. And one way is through suffering and then it, it, uh, so that his, the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. But I'm going to just skim over that and get right to the sixth one now. And the seventh one I won't even say. <laughs> it determines our heavenly reward. Second Peter 1.11 says, For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 4, 7, 8 says, Train yourself to be godly. As we read before, physical training is of some value, but godliness is value for all things, both uh, holding promise, both for the present life and the life to come. Scripture says that while we're saved by grace, our rewards are determined by what church? Uh, this is a hard one to say for evangelicals. And Christians, because we've been so steeped in saved by grace that we don't even want to use the word works. It's almost like it's a dirty word. It's not a dirty word. Faith, uh, salvation comes by faith alone. Is that true? For by grace are you saved through faith alone, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Hey, amen. amen. I just said it. But we will be rewarded on the basis of what we have done, works. We go to heaven on the basis of Christ's merit alone and nothing else, just by believing and trusting in him. But we are rewarded on the basis of works. He said, oh, I'm getting a little uncomfortable right now. No, 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 this is good news. The Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will, what? Reward each one according to what he's done. I could go to Revelation 20. I could go to so many passages. We just don't have time. But we have to touch on this. Um, and 1 Corinthians, um, I mean, obviously, if, if we haven't done any works, we're not going to be rewarded. True? I mean, that, that, that's obvious. But there's more to it than just if we did some good works or not. It's the kind of works we did, or the quality, because even the good works themselves will be tested. 1 Corinthians 3 says, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stone, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will what? Is it on? Oh, that one's not on there. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Thank you very much. I thought you had it memorized. <laughs> if what he has built survives, he will what? Receive a reward. If it is burnt up, he will what? Suffer loss. Did you hear that? 
What did it say? Suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping the flames. In other words, somebody's running out of a house, and all the belongings and everything remained there, and he just got out with what, the clothes on his back. That's what he's saying. He's talking to believers. Uh, Paul was. And uh, we see that in Philippians 1. He gives us a very good illustration of it in chapter 1 where he was, uh, he was, preaching, he was in prison. He was preaching, and he said because of his imprisonment, it had emboldened many of the others to preach Christ. And, uh, but he, he said some of them were preaching out of, uh, let me see if I can find it here, envy and rivalry. He says in verse 17, the former preached Christ out of self-ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me. And then in verse 18, he calls them uh, some from false motives or truth. So some were preaching the gospel had been emboldened to do it out of good motives, and some had been emboldened to preach the gospel out of selfish or impure motives. That's what will be tested at the end, at the famous seat of Christ. You see that, church? So, good character, like good motives and all that kind of things, character of Christ, those kind of characteristics are going to determine our heavenly reward. Does that come with a promise? If we put on, the, the, on Christ, if we put on his character, it comes with the promise of great reward. So how do we uh, grow our character? We always drift away from holiness, and we, and, um, but we have to make every effort to put on holiness or the fruit of the Spirit or the character. Time doesn't make things better. Would you agree? <laughs> you can be an old grouch. Is it true? You were, an old you were a grouch. You were a young grouch. Now you're an old grouch. Nothing's changed just because of time. <laughs> Time alone doesn't change anything. Character formation requires our intentional participation and effort. First Timothy Paul said, train yourself to be godly. He says, you, take intent you be intentional about it. Peter said, make every effort to add to your faith. Thankfully, however, we don't have to do it alone and we've got God's power to help us. Amen? So, there's two ways in this ha that this happens, and I want to get to the second one, but I can't do it without touching on the first one. First, we must respond properly to major trials and to daily pressures in our lives that God allows. Remember what I said, John 15, Jesus said he cuts off the Father. He's talking about, he says, he cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, but everyone who, who, uh, who's in me who bears fruit, he prunes so that he'll be even more fruitful. The writer to the Hebrews affirmed the same, using just different language. He said, endure hardship as a discipline. Hardship. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his what, church? Ha, there it is. It produced the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. To grow in our character, we need suffering. We need trials. We need struggles. Paul says, Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, I was reviewing this on my deck this morning in, in my memory work. He's, he says, we also rejoice in our what? What do we rejoice in, church? Sufferings, because we know that suffering produces 
Perseverance and perseverance and character. Hope. Oh, my. James says, we can grow from trials of many kinds, including daily pressures. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know the testing of your faith. What does it do? Develops perseverance. There it is again. Isn't that something? Perseverance keeps coming up. Um, we are to rejoice in the smaller daily pressures as well. Now, you know, I think even of, of major suffering. Some of you have gone through some major, major suffering here in the church. I've seen it over the last, Fran and I have seen it, and others of us have seen it on the staff. And we are amazed at you. We see Jesus in you. He's forming his character because you're responding properly. My wife, when she went through those 10 surgeries, she often says now, she said, I wouldn't trade it for the world because it changed me, right? But he also gives us smaller daily pressures because these prepare us for the greater pressures and trials and sufferings. And one, day, one way daily pressures prepare us is through difficult people in our lives, amen? How many of you, and you can raise your hand this time, how many of you have a difficult person in your life? Raise your hand, yep, we all do. It's unanimous. Some of you are married to that person. Oh, it, and it can be a coworker, it can be an employee, it can be a, a neighbor, it can be a friend, a relative, uh, whatever. It can be anything. True? They're difficult. And here's what God is saying to you. I gave them to you because I love you. You say, what? I'm trying to get rid of this person. Oh, Jesus. Get rid of this person from the face of the earth so I can live my life out in peace. And God says, no, I gave him because I love you, because I want you to grow some character in you. If you respond properly, character will grow in you, and it will end up finally in eternal reward. And then you will thank me for the rest of eternity for putting that person in your life. Can you imagine day when you're going to say thank you to him for that? It's the truth. You know, they may treat us poorly, they misunderstand us, our personalities clash. In some cases, they hate us and disrespect of us, and we want them out of our lives, but God says, I love you. Listen to this and listen carefully. God cares more about the line of your eternity than he cares about the dot of your present. Isn't that the truth? He really does. And your, the results of your character will count for and last forever. The memory of your present trials will be largely forgotten a thousand years into eternity, unless, of course, they produce character which produced fruit and resulting reward. In which case, you're just going to be saying, thank you, Jesus, a thousand years from now. Thank you, Jesus, that you love that suffering and that trial or that person or that pressure, that difficulty in my life because, oh my goodness, I would have never changed without it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. But we have to respond properly to that. But here's the second way, not just by responding to these things. We, I, I mean, that would be a whole message in itself. But let's go to the second one. I want you to get something here. And that has to do with being intentional in choosing a character trait to work on. We can do that. <laughs> and I told you before, you know, that self-control thing. I, I told you. And the Holy Spirit said, uh, uh, you know, and he and I had a discussion about that. And, and I said, okay, what are the steps you want me to take to get this, to wrestle this character trait in my life? 
He set up the tests for it. He's very good at it, by the way, as you know. And then he gave me four easy, simple steps for this particular case. Okay, and he said, first of all, I want you to pray for it daily. Um, I'm going to say something about that right now. <laughs> Have you ever heard people say, don't pray for patience? Because if you do, <laughs> you just asked for trouble. Well, of course you asked for trouble. What did you expect? If you're going to have patience in your life, is it going to get eternal reward, yes or no? Is it going to change how you behave, and will it result in more reward, yes or no? Yeah. But you can't get patience without, it, without practicing. You can't good at, uh, get good at, as a pilot. You can't get good at flying in bad weather without practicing it first. You, you don't want to wait till. You know, I've never practiced bad weather, but here we go, all 150 of you. <laughs> True? You'll never learn how to be patient if you don't learn how to be patient in the little things. So God sets up. You start praying for patience, and you'll set up six tests that day. Absolutely guaranteed. I started praying for self-control, and I had like half a dozen irritable things that day. Whew. Oh. <laughs> but that's how it works. And he said, I want you to start praying for it. Okay, I'll start praying for it. Next thing. I want you to find verses on self-control. This is amazing how many there are. I had no idea. And I started memorizing those particular verses. And then he said, I want you to tell Fran. Oh, no. Yeah, human accountability. Without human accountability, you'll never change without telling somebody. And then I said, and I want you to do one more thing. I want you to pray for me, that I grow in that. A little while ago, I asked her again. I said, are you still praying for me in that area? She said, yes. And I said, good. I want to grow in that. That's making a difference. But here are some steps. You got to pray for it daily. You got to confess bitterness and receive inner healing. That comes out of the set free. But so I won't talk more about that. Many of you know what I'm talking about there. Human accountability. And then you have to learn about your character trait. Now we're going to do this very quickly. I'm going to pick one, and the one that we're going to pick, and we're going to work it together. I'm going to show you how you wrestle that into your life, okay? You pick one like perseverance, because everybody needs to persevere in life. We all face resistance. And the more. The more you grow in Jesus and the more responsibility he gives you, the more resistance you're going to get. Amen? Yikes, it was easy when you just got married and you had no kids. Amen? And then it just gets more and more complicated. Okay, so let's try perseverance. What's the opposite of perseverance? What's a, what would be a word? Quitting. Very good. What's another uh, phrase or word? Giving up. Very good. Quitting. Giving up. So... When I say you're learning about it, you're sitting down in your devotion time. Your devotion isn't just about reading six chapters and then you can check that off. Say a little prayer and go and, go and have fun the rest of the day. That's not what it is. Sometimes you've got to wrestle and change your character. That's a good place to do it. Set some time aside. Now you wrestle it. Okay, perseverance. Uh, perseverance. Well, what is perseverance? What's the opposite of per perseverance? Oh, opposite is hope. Uh, I, 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 I want to quit. I want to give up. Do you ever feel like quitting and giving up? Has that ever happened to you? Huh, it's happened to me. God had to teach me. Perseverance. And um, 
so uh, you say that. Okay, well, when I feel like giving up and quitting, how do I feel emotionally? Well, do you know where you can find um, lots about emotions in Scripture? Find lots of it in the Psalms. And how do you feel when you feel like giving up? You feel, it's an H word. Yeah, you feel hopeless. And when you're hopeless, do you, um, do you have lots of joy in you? No, the, the joy is gone. Is there any peace in you at that time? No, you're probably anxious all night, thinking through scenarios of how this is all going to work out wrong. So uh, you don't have peace, you're joyless, you're hopeless. Do you have much faith that things are just going to get a lot better? No, probably not. So do you know what it says in Proverbs 13, 12? Hope deferred makes the heart what? Isn't that true? When, you're, when your heart, when you don't have hope, you don't, it doesn't matter if you get a two-week vacation, doesn't matter if you get a good night's rest, doesn't matter anything, you have no energy to take on the world. Is it true? None, zero. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. So then you got to think, so you're thinking about that. Hmm, okay. Uh, God, help me. Uh, so how do I get strong? Where does the Bible talk about strength? How do you feel when you are strong? Help me. It starts with a J. Joy. Oh, joy! <laughs> Nehemiah 8 says, For the joy of the Lord is my strength. And you say, oh, so I, if I'm going to persevere, i got to be strong, because otherwise I'm hopeless and I, I, I get nothing done. I'll never resist the devil like that. So how do, I, how do I get that characteristic? Okay, I need joy, but how do I get joy? Where do I get joy? Where do you get joy? Oh, as you're looking through your Bible and ask you, as you're phoning Chris and asking him for all the answers to these questions, <laughs> and his email address is, no. <laughs> you, uh, you come across Psalm 1611. You go in your concordance, you ask people, Psalm 1611 says, make, uh, you make known uh, paths of life. In your presence there is... At your right hand, pleasures forevermore. Oh my goodness. Okay, so the joy that I need, that I need strength, uh, that I get in his presence. Oh, now I got to figure out how do I get in his presence? Well, then how do you get into his presence? Oh, you're writing this all down. You're journaling this. You see, you're trying to figure it out. It might not happen. You might not get this done in one, in one devotional time in the morning. It may take two or three or a week. Doesn't matter. Or two weeks or a month. Who cares? Who cares? say, well, then how do I get into the presence? Ah, shoot. You're reading Psalms again, and you get to Psalm 100, or you ask somebody, or you ask Stephanie, or you ask one of the staff, or Grace. Grace always knows. Somebody. Um, how do you get into God's presence? Oh, Psalm 104 and 5 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with? Give thanks to him and... Praise his name, for the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness endures through all generations. Oh, so I got I to gotta get into his presence with thanksgiving. Now you start thinking, what's thanksgiving? What is thanksgiving? And you think, is there a difference between being, like, can you be really thankful? And, 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 or is it possible to say thank you, but not really be grateful? Uh, and then you think about your kids or grandkids. And I think about my grandkids now a lot. And um, 
And uh, so I got jujubes, jar jujubes, Frank keeps them full, and I bribe them like that. Anyway, they come to me, <laughs> and I give them some jujubes, and those little ones, they turn around, and they'll just grab, sometimes they'll just right in a jar and run. And I say, hey, what do you say? Thank you, Papa. And away they go. <laughs> now, are they th saying thank you and polite, or are they grateful? They're being polite. <laughs> They got the candy that way. Some, I now have learned, I say, what do you say? Please, and what else are you gonna say? Thank you. Okay, now you get your candy. <laughs> but then the other day, uh, uh, we, were, uh, we were looking after uh, uh, four of the grandkids and we took them to A&W and then took them to see something like that. And then as it was backing away, one of them from the back seat yells, Papa, thank you so much for taking us to A&W and eating those burgers and those fries and those onion rings. And thank you so much for taking us here and for spending time with us. Completely unsolicited like that. Was he saying, was he polite or grateful? He was grateful. Did that do something for me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Head of the pack. True? Enter his gates with thanksgiving or gratefulness and praise his name. So you're writing all this down. You're, I mean, you're illustrating, you're thinking, you're memorizing little verses. And you say, by the way, I don't memorize because I'm not very good at it. Good! That means you have to review it more and then you'll really get it into your life. The guys that got all the memory, feel sorry for them. Like Chris. <laughs> I don't know if he's in this service or not. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> but do you see the devotional life you're having? Devotions can be a fun time in his presence like that. Amen? And now you wrestle that truth into your life. You say, well, then I'm going to start doing that. By the way, sometimes people say to me, uh, uh, Pastor A, you must have a good memory because you always say, and I don't. No, that's the truth. People say, you must because you always give us d months and years uh, about the history of Southland for, for 22 years, and you can just rattle it off. You must have an amazing memory. And I say, no, I don't. Do you know what I'm rattling off? My thanksgiving list, that's what I'm rattling off. And I was going through part of it today again, on my deck. I can start anywhere. I can start in 95, I can go to 96, or I can go to 2001, a great watershed year. I can go to 2004, and right now I can say, oh God, I can't believe what you did there in, uh, in 2004, and how you told me you were, we were supposed to bring the Holy Spirit into... And, and it looked like I was going to lose my job because of that, but I, I don't know how you did that, Lord. And I was crying all the way home, and, and I was sure it was going to work, and then you miraculously did something, and the board agreed, like unanimously. Lord, I just can't believe that you did that, and I can't believe that, <laughs> that was the year you told us to start listening in prayer. <laughs> you wanted me to introduce it into the church as well, and that was the year, Lord, uh, the annual uh, Thanksgiving, I mean... Um, the, the annual uh, month of prayer and fasting and how you brought that in. And just one month later, then we started the Set Free Retreat in February 2005. Lord, I just can't believe how... Do you know what I mean? 
That is actually what's happening in my time of gratefulness. And by the time I get five minutes in or 10 minutes in or 15 minutes in, the tears just start to flow because I'm not checking off a list anymore. It's because I can't believe it. I can't believe what he's done. And by the time I leave those devotions, I was in his presence and I know joy. I got hope again. I'm filled with faith. And I'm ready to take on the world again. And, and when I do, and when I persevere another day, and another week against some more resistance, and another month, and then another year, guess what? An ingrained pattern is starting to develop. And after a while, my wife who said, a year after we got married, you're a quitter, sent, gave me a card one day a few years ago, and she said, the one thing I admire about you is that you never quit. Ha. And I went, oh my goodness, that's ironic. <laughs> and then God says, okay, let's start working on another one. Amen? Now, this is what we're going to do. Uh, tonight, uh, tonight at 6 p.m., we're going to actually work on this. You come tonight at the prayer summit. How many of you, do you want to grow in your character? Do you feel like it? If you come tonight to the prayer summit, I'm going to, just like I showed you a little bit how, how you do it, we're, I'm going to take you through some stuff, and we're going to do it together. Here's a vision from Jesus. Can you imagine if in every marriage in our church, each person in the marriage grew just in one character trait? Just one, just one. It would renew marriages so much that we'd have to double our nursery space. <laughs> it's true. But now I want you to think of one more thing. The church. Pastors, denominational leaders, church leaders. I'm talking to you, and I'm, I'm talking to our church. Can you imagine if every adult in your church and ours changed in just one? One of you know in the four passages, 27 characteristics right there. Can you imagine if they all grew in just one intentionally? You would have such revival, you would know what to do with it. I leave you with that vision from Jesus. Lord, thank you for your character. And we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.